The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Sports Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericasports.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. The horses are at the gate. And they're off! Welcome to Winning Ponies. With a weekend coming up, this is the spot to be for news, handicapping, and spotlights featuring the winners behind horse racing today. Now, here's your host, John Engelhart, racing's regular guy. Yeah, thanks for joining us again for another edition of Winning Ponies. I'm John Engelhart. I'll be your host tonight. And our guest, well, at the bottom of the hour, as you know, it's Super Saturday on both coasts. On the East Coast, we're going to have Mike Watchmaker, of course, the national handicapper for the Daily Racing Forum there, which he joined back in 1980. Jumped over to the Racing Times for a while, worked for Naira. And now he handicaps races back for DRF. What a weekend at Belmont Park. I just couldn't squeeze in every graded stakes race. But uh, the ones that we expect to look at with Mike, we'll start out with the Jockey Club Gold Cup. A million dollars on the line. What a rematch here. You got VE Day, Wicked Strong, Tonalist, all coming out of the Traverse Stakes. Again, it's going to be the three-year-olds taking on the older horses, and the one older horse that's going to be awful salty on the front end there will be Moreno, who just got beat in the Woodward by It's My Lucky Day. Of course, there's not going to be any big question about where Moreno is going to be during the running of this race. He just likes to show his heels to the field. Uh, Then we're going to go on the weeds a mile and a half for the Joe Hirsch Turf Classic Invitational, a very evenly matched field. But it looks like the one to beat in here might be one that shipped over across the pond. Main sequence has been undefeated since going to the barn of Graham Motion, won the United Nations Handicap and the Sword Dancer. Of course, Mike Watchmaker is known for picking his upset horses. He likes to find a price. And then in the Speedy Vosberg Invitational, grade one, 400,000. Uh, last year's winner's in there, private zone, but it's not the favorite. The favorite down along the rail is Palace. Not Palace Malice, just Palace. It will have Cornelio Velasquez up. His regular rider won its last two races with 100-plus buyer figures, and this is a horse that loves Belmont Park. And then we're going to ask uh, Mike Watchmaker from the Daily Racing Forum to take a look at the Flower Bowl Invitational, the classic distance of a mile and a quarter. And this is one of the more contentious races we'll see all day from Belmont Park that just has an amazing card. If you are a uh, fan of racing, you want to be tuned there, and then you want to turn your dial over to the West Coast and take a look at what's going on out at Santa Anita. And uh, hopefully we'll have Tom Quigley with us. As you know, he is the uh, railbird. they got Quigley's Corner out there on the West Coast. Uh, we've just been having a little telephone difficulty getting a hold of Tom. Hopefully we will have him, but certainly the race perhaps of the week 
is the awesome again. Not because of its price. It's only 300000 It is a grade one, but shared belief once again will try to keep his perfect record intact. Takes on older horses in here. I'm telling you what, I think he can do it. His uh, last buyer was a 115 in the Pacific Classic, beating older horses, some of those returning to try to test him again today. And then we've got the grade one Zenyatta, good matchup between two four-year-old fillies, Ayotapa and champion Beholder. So that one's going to be a good one. And then uh, we go to uh, the, the babies. we got the two-year-old fillies in the chandelier and the two-year-old boys in the front runner. As always, Bob Baffert loaded for bear there. He's uh, got some good ones. So um, those will be the main races you're going to want to listen for and take notes on today. And uh, let's get into some news of the week, starting with where we've been at Keeneland, it turns out that the uh, it's been a very steady market right there. Uh, gross receipts totaled two hundred seventy nine million. They sold over twenty eight hundred yearlings, right about the same as last year's. The median, which is the the, the critical uh, indicator for a healthy market, remained the same, and uh, right at fifty thousand dollars. So, uh, if you were caught in the middle, of course, the very strong first book. Um, 13 yearlings sold for $1 million or more, including two for the sales topping price of $2.2 million. It was a tie uh, during book one and book two. 121 yearlings brought 400000 or more versus 105 sold in that price range last year. And uh, two, you know, just telling you how strong the sale was uh, during the first week and week two of the sale. The highest price yearly of each session exceeded the top price for the corresponding session in 2013. Each one, a yearling, would sold for 100000 or more. Uh, the top ten leading buyers were pretty much equally divided between uh, United States and international interests. Uh, the leading sales buyer was John Ferguson, advisor to Sheikh Mohammed bin Rashid al Mak. He took home 22 yearlings for $7.88 million. The top U.S. owners were Gary Mary West. They took 29 horses for $7,805,000. It was neck and neck down the stretch for the world's most successful stallions in Tappet and Warfront. Uh, the uh, First $2.2 million baby was a Warfront baby. He's a half-brother to the grade one winner, contested, consigned by Claiborne Farm. And then uh, Sheikh Hamdan bin Rashid al-Maktoum bought the second top price yearling occult by Tappet. So it was Warfront and Tappet who battled it out at the end. Last man standing, the big old gray Tappet, who stands at Gainsway Farm, was the sales leading sire by Gross, represented by 36 yearlings. Uh, that is the average price, 603000 plus the highest average at the September sale since 2007. Who beat them? It was AP Indy, who sold for an average of $858,000. The top girl, she went to Mollygar Stud Farm, 
for $1.5 million. So if you didn't get one there, you'll be able to get one coming up in a breeding stock sale. Over 4,000 horses will go under the gavel at Keeneland uh, by some very, very top sires, some established like uh, uh, Galileo, for example, Magdalena Dioro. Uh, pioneer of the Nile, but there's also some uh, some young studs in there, so it'll be very interesting to see if the market stays strong. Well, closing strong was Kentucky Downs. They established a wagering record as the live meet came to a close yesterday with three stakes. A total of $15 million was wagered on the Kentucky Downs races during this meet, shattering the previous record of $12 million, 23.9%. So it's always good to see that. Speaks well for the sport. Kentucky Downs, again, I can't tout it enough. It's uh, American's most European racetrack and quite a place to go and be. Martin Garcia was named the Jockey's Guild Jockey of the Week. Uh, His ride on Barron and track record time in the Pennsylvania Derby got him the honors as the top jockey of the week. And... uh, in all, Garcia won two races during the week, rewarding his fans with an average payoff of $6.20. But what's important to him is his mounts earned over $720,000. So congratulations to Martin Garcia. A uh, couple big names you might know about that uh, should be uh, racing, but they're going to be retired, and that is My Miss Oriella and Dreaming of Julia. Both of them being retired, of course, uh, they belong to Stone Street Farms. They're going to join that great broodmare band that they've got. And uh, my Miss Arioli, you recall, was the champion two-year-old filly of 2011, capturing the Grey Goose Breeders' Cup Juvenile Phillies, the Frazette Stakes, and Adirondack Stakes at two. But she might be best remembered for her gutsy victory as a three-year-old over Alabama winner questing in the $1 million cotillion stakes. So uh, she will be retired along with Dreaming of Julia, who had pretty good credentials herself, uh, winning the Frazette Stakes and the Metal Star Stakes at two and the Gulfstream Park Oaks at three. I don't know if you remember that race. She won by 21 and three-quarter lengths. Uh, now, Beholder, we'll be talking about her a little bit later in the show. Looks like uh, you're going to be able to buy her right after the Breeders' Cup. As a matter of fact, I believe two days after the Breeders' Cup, she'll be going under the gavel at Fazig Tipton, the two-time Eclipse Award winner and back-to-back Breeders' Cup winner will be offered for sale, and that is November 3rd if you want to go down and, and see a champion. Of course, uh, she's now four-year-old daughter of Henny Hughes, trained by Hall of Fame horse and Richard Mandela. And Mandela doesn't just kind of toss around compliments and says that uh, Beholder is just perhaps one of the greatest horses he's ever trained. Uh, she's the only thoroughbred in history to win both the Breeders' Cup Juvenile Phillies and the Breeders' Cup Distaff. And she's the first filly since Hall of Fame champion Silver Bullet Day to earn an Eclipse Award at both two and three. So, looking to buy a horse, you better reach down into those jeans and pull out some greens on November 3rd at Phasing Tipton if you want to get a piece of Beholder. All right, let's take a quick look at the races. We had Michael Baychak, the top handicap with her last week, and the winner 
of the Pennsylvania Derby. Well, it wasn't California Chrome, and it wasn't Candy Boy, it wasn't Tapature, it was Bayern. This horse could be a freak out of the Bob Baffert barn. You had to throw out the Traverse Stakes. We talked about that last week. Not sure what happened there, if it was uh, the, the distance or the first trip ever to Saratoga. But Bayern's wire-to-wire with Martin Garcia in the saddle. Got the job done at 7-2 by 5 and 3 quarter links. Over Tapature, who was just a head better than Candy Boy, who had to rally from last, again, just missing by a head. Now, we spoke earlier about the great fillies and mares that run in the Cotillion Stakes. And going a mile on a 16th, a million bucks up for grabs. It was Untappable, who appeared untouchable until she faced the boys in the Haskell Invitational. So Untappable at 1-2, to two, got the job done, relaxed behind the top two, had to work for it, drifted into the eighth pole, then Rosie pulled out the whip, gave it a little left-hand stick, Untappable straightened out, got the job done over Sweet Reason, coming out of wins in the test in the acorn. And third was the seven, the speed horse, JoJo Warrior. Uh, earlier on the undercard, uh, the gallant Bob Stakes uh, went to uh, one of Michael Baychock's picks. Favorite tail went to its knees at the start, but got the job done in the gallant Bob over Fast Anna, the odds on favorite. And the three bump start long shot at 19 to 1. We did shoot over to Belmont for one more race. It was the Gallant Bloom handicap, a grade two of the winner, Baychock's top pick and everybody's top pick, Artemis Agroterra, who uh, had to work awful hard and was forced five wide and just got up by a head over La Verdad. And number five, Willet. All right, well, my producer Michael says it looks like we are sitting on go with Mr. Tom Quigley. So we are going to take a quick break and then go see who's the best out in the West. You're listening to Winning Ponies. to the pros we, we cover, everything. cover everything let your voice be heard voice america sports and they're off what can't make it to the track you can still get all the action with winningponies.com the home of the easy win form the most accurate predictions on thoroughbreds quarters and arabian horses at most american and canadian tracks whether it be the Triple Crown, Breeders' Cup, Travers, Haskell, or your daily races, don't worry. Let winningponies.com make some money for you. Okay, sports fans, here's your opportunity to discuss football, America's favorite sport. On an annual basis, millions of people attend, watch, and listen to football, both pro and college. Ray Ellis Sports, an internet talk radio show, was developed with the fan in mind. Join host, former Philadelphia Eagles and Cleveland Browns strong safety, Ray Ellis, on Voice America Sports every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific for exciting, interactive football discussions from the fans' perspective. Tune in every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific to Ray Ellis Sports right here on the Voice America Network and let's talk football. 
your internet flagship station for sports. Voice America Sports. You're tuned in to Winning Ponies with your host, John Engelhart. Got a tip for us? Need a tip from us? If you want to talk with John or his guests, the phone lines are now open toll-free at 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or you can send an email to show at winningponies.com. Now, back to Winning Ponies with John Engelhart. All right, and with me is our, our man, Mr. Southern California, Tom Quigley. We are having some trouble getting a hold of him earlier, but I didn't realize we had to get a hold of him at his beauty shop. Uh, he's getting all gussied up for the appearances I'm sure he's going to be making on the West Coast Super Saturday uh, this weekend. I, I could go on and on as far as his fixture as a, a paddock and having Quigley's corner and every, everything else that, that he's done over his career, but I'd rather just start talking to him. Tom Quigley, how you doing? John, it's great to be with you out here on the West Coast. The sun is, sh- is still shining, the skies are blue, the palm trees are swaying in the wind, and Santa Anita, the great race place, opens up tomorrow afternoon. Well, I can actually say you're not rubbing my nose in it. We've just had 14 straight days of nothing but sun here in the Midwest, which is pretty rare this this time of year. Well, uh, how have you enjoyed the the Southern California racing so far? I know you're looking forward to an exciting meet at Santa Anita. We are looking forward to an exciting meet at Santa Anita, John. And, you know, this year the calendar in Southern California has been a little topsy-turvy. You know, no more Betfair Hollywood Park. So, of course, as you well know, we had to uh, intersperse a couple of meets at Los Alamitos. And kind of maybe one thing your listeners don't know is once the Breeders' Cup concludes in early November at uh, Santa Anita, we're going to head back down the highway south down to the Mexican border almost and go back to Del Mar for almost the entire month of uh, November. So Del Mar no longer just a summer destination. It'll now be racing during the month of November. Then in December, we'll take another stop at Los Alamitos before coming back to Santa Anita for their traditional opening day, the day after Christmas on December 26th. Well, a couple of weeks ago, I had the uh, the, the, the story on the, the completion of uh, Keeneland's removal of Polytrack. What is the status on synthetics out on the West Coast? Synthetics after the Del Mar meet during November are going to be a thing of the past here on the West Coast. And I think most handicappers, John, are going to say good riddance to synthetics. Certainly in the Midwest, and I was born and raised in Chicago, so I know, all of, I know all about bad weather. Certainly at places like Turfway Park, I think synthetics do have a home. They do have a place in the Midwest where weather can be a little bit dicey. But certainly out here in Southern California, I think it was a, uh, you know, just a bad interpretation of putting in polytrack where it really wasn't needed. So uh, Santa Anita, of course, is no longer synthetic. Delmar, like I said, will be synthetic for the month of November, but then they're going to yank it out just like Keeneland did. And, of course, Keeneland, just like Delmar down the road, will be hosting the Breeders' Cup, and I'm sure that has an Im- a big impact on their decision to go back to real dirt. Absolutely. Well, people people need to know that, and I do believe even uh, last year some East Coast guy says, uh, I'm not coming. Uh, the, the other thing was I have noticed in, in watching the three-year-old horses this year, particularly the Phillies, uh, the ones that went out there that were not allowed to race on Lasix, 
it's amazing how many of them have come back and had bang-up three-year-old seasons. Have you observed that? I haven't observed it closely, John, and I don't know where you stand on this issue, but basically the bottom line for me is, you know, you and I have been in the game long enough. Racing has a lot, a lot of problems. And although Lasix maybe can mask some illegal drugs and maybe some consider it to be a performance enhancer, although I think those days are somewhat long gone, I mean, you know, not to allow horses to race on Lasix, no matter what their age might be, I think is a little bit cruel to the animal itself. You know, these horses, for whatever reason, maybe the breeding has been impacted negatively, or maybe, you know, who knows what the reasons are. But I just think to have two-year-olds race on Lasix for the first couple of races of their career, then pull them off Lasix just for the Breeders' Cup, and then allow them back on Lasix, like you said, during their three-year-old campaign, that just not only hurts the horse, but it really hurts the handicapper, doesn't it? I mean, what do we do on Breeders' Cup Day with all these two-year-olds who are no longer in Lasix? You know, it's a hard interpretation. It's a hard read as to who's going to run well and who's not on, on Racing's Championship Day. So, you know, I wish I wish the powers to be would kind of address more of the important issues and just and just let horses race on Lasix and let everybody else figure it out, which is what we normally do the other 363 days a year. Well, that's right. And I know, you know, I've had uh, three boys, and if any of them were, were, were in a sport and they kept getting bloody noses and I could give them something to get rid of their bloody nose, you can bet damn well sure I would. So I'm on the same page with you right there. Well, you're, you're here going to be an exciting time on Saturday. Uh, you may be seeing, not for the first time I know, uh, the unveiling of the, perhaps the best horse of his generation in shared belief. I mean, he's he's shown that he doesn't have to carry his track with him, uh, that, that he can stretch out over a route of ground, um, and that uh, there's he's not afraid to take on, you know, the, the big boys. We're talking about the awesome again, the grade one. Obviously, only 300,000, when I say only 300,000, but there's bigger races around the country. Um, it just seems like Hollendorfer has mapped out a perfect plan for this horse who's six for six uh, during his career it's got to be pretty cool to be able to see this horse and i know you have a couple times i've seen him for most of his career with the exception of his two golden gate races john and you know forgetting about the the impressive performances he put forth up to this point what a great uh you know uh what's the word i'm looking for what a great um uh need for racing to have a guy like jim Rohn be a part owner in this horse which of yes. course he is you know, I mean, it's a great overall exposure for the sport. You well know the history of Jim Rome. Back in the early days, he was talking nothing but negativity about horse racing. Somebody out here by the name of Billy Koch turned him around, got him, got him involved in thoroughbred ownership. And uh, as the old saying goes, the rest is history, because now he can't be more of a bigger advocate for thoroughbred racing, not just about his horse, but just about what a great sport it is and how great it is to own a horse. So, you know, shared belief, he's three to five in the awesome again. Does he need to win? No. Will he win? Probably. He's going to be an underlay. Um, but, you know, like you said, John, he's taken not only his racetracks with him, but also the different surfaces. You know, my big knock on him going into the Los Alamitos Derby two races back was, okay, is he just a synthetic horse or can he race on real dirt? And he answered all the questions that day. And, and up to that point, with the exception of his prep race back at Golden Gate going six furlongs, he had never run against older, which, of course, he did in the Pacific Classic. So then the question became, well, how is he going to perform against older horses? And in retrospect, it might not have been the strongest grade one race in the world, 
but he could not have been more impressive, breaking from the outside post, sitting farther back than he normally did, and then basically at the top of the lane all the way down the stretch, never in doubt as to who was going to win. So, you know, is he the next superstar? Could he be another spectacular bidder secretariat? We don't really know, but, I mean, he's, he's beaten every, everything thrown at, thrown at him so far. And, uh, you know, when you look through this field, Sure, Fed Biz could be, you know, could be dangerous for him. Majestic Harbor obviously likes this racetrack. Mystery Train last time kind of uh, went head to head with Game on Dude and then backed up really badly. But what's he going to do on real dirt? But at the end of the day, you know, shared belief's going to be less than three to five. All I want to see is a very solid performance because if he can make it to the Breeders' Cup Classic, that's going to be one hell of a dance. Yeah, it, it's going to be great. And as you said, with, with uh, a public figure like Jim Rohn behind him, it's so neat that this horse is a gelding, and we may have him around for a lot of years to, to help the sport stay in the headlines. Uh, speaking of headlines, uh, you're going to get to watch another champion in person on Saturday in Beholder. Uh, it, it's the Zenyatta, 300,000, a grade one. It looks like a pretty good matchup between uh, her and, and, and Io Tappa. Now, now, Beholder, it's already been announced that, I believe, a day or two after the Breeders' Cup, she's going to be running through the sales rank. She's not only going to be running through the sales ranks, John, but also the other filly you mentioned, Io Tappa. She's also headed to the Phasic Tipton sale in Kentucky. So you're going to have two quote-unquote champion fillies for sale shortly after the Breeders' Cup, assuming both of these fillies make it. Io Tappa, kind of an interesting story. If you have the PPs in front of you, you can see way back in her career debut, her current owner and connections took her for $50,000. What a claim that's been. She's earned over $796,000 up to this point in her career for a measly $50,000 claim track. She's getting sharp right now. She's certainly the danger to Beholder. Beholder, the one-to-two favorite. And, you know, it's interesting. When you look through Beholder's running lines, you can see at Santa Anita, she's won seven of eight with her only other finish being a second-place finish. And the day she finished second, her trainer, Richard Mandela, said that she had a throat ulcer. Now, I don't know if she did or not, but assuming that she did, you know, basically she just thrives over this racetrack. And I was very surprised how disappointed or how disappointing she ran over at Belmont in the Ogden Phipps. But, you know, losing a close hatches in Princess of Silmar, no disgrace. Keep in mind, Gary Stevens was riding her then, not to make any excuses, but we know Gary was riding on basically one good knee and one bad knee. Now she switches over to Mike Smith. That could make the difference. And like you said earlier, before the break, she's really the only the only filly in, uh, in history to win both the Distaff and the Juvenile Phillies race. She's got a lot of class, and like you said, uh, seeing shared belief and beholder on the same card, basically within a couple of hours of each other, is going to make for some great theater out at Santa Anita. Uh, it really is. Well, gosh, we got so much to talk about. I've only got about two minutes left, but I know that you, you have are a guy uh, that gets to see these horses go in the morning. So if I can just quickly uh, tap into your uh, ability to tell us a little bit about the two-year-olds, the Chandelier. This is the the girls. Uh, this is a race that Baffert's won ten times, but uh, it's kind of interesting to see that uh, Todd Pletcher's actually shipped all the way from the East Coast. Don't know if he's got the edge in class. Uh, can you quickly tell me about any of these horses that maybe you've had an eye full of that you're impressed with? Yeah, uh, not only does Todd Pletcher ship out, John, but also Kelly Breen ships out the rail filly as well. So they must think the West Coast Division is relatively weak. Certainly, uh, you know, I think that those two fillies need to be respected. But the filly I've really got my eye on, who's never run two turns, is going to start from post position number two, Conquest Eclipse. 
She comes out of the Del Mar debutante after breaking her maiden at Churchill Downs, and the two fillies she lost to Sunset Glow, you might remember, trained by Wesley Ward, and her eminency also trained by Mark Cassie, two very, very talented two-year-old fillies. I think Conquest Eclipse, as you can look through her running lines, I think she's going to adore two turns. She draws inside, she gets Nakatani, and she's going to be a bit of a price. So while I respect the East Coast shippers, I think Conquest Eclipse is the one to watch that's based here on the West Coast. Okay, well, uh, we've talked about the girls. Can you give me any uh, skinny uh, in the uh, the front runner, a grade one horse that seems to leap off the paper to me because of its connections, is uh, the Bob Baffert trained American Pharaoh with Victor Espinoza up. God, the Del Mar Futurity was an eye popper. Sure was, and uh, owned by Zayat. You can see the sires pioneer the now. They took the blinkers off, broke from the rail. I can tell you the track that day was very speed-favoring, and there was not much speed in the race. If you can pull up the PPs from that September 3rd race, you'll see there wasn't much early speed to go with American Pharaoh. And while he looked very impressive in the paddock, I think the pace profile kind of kind of favored him. Now, he's going to also be very dangerous. But I'll tell you one horse to look at who doesn't have the flashy buyer speed figures yet, but a horse who has a lot of talent is number one, Texas Red. Keith DeSormo, the brother of Kent DeSormo, is on record that this is his best two-year-old colt in the barn. And he kind of proved it last time when he broke from an outside post. Again, it wasn't anything flashy from a buyer speed figure, but he got the job done. He also broke his maiden, or got close to breaking his maiden at Arlington Park, only missing by a neck. But Texas Red's going to get away a little bit of a price. You also have to respect Daddy DT, the number four horse who goes turf to dirt. But at the end of the day, I'm going to be boxing American Pharaoh and Texas Red on my exact boxes. All right. Well, we've been talking to the Wizard of the West Coast, my friend Tom Quigley. I thank you so much for spending the time with us, and I'm sure that new haircut you got looks awful good. We'll be looking for you on the tube. John, always a pleasure. I look forward to seeing you hopefully sometime soon, and good luck to you and all your listeners. Thanks so much. We just talked with Tom Quigley out on the West Coast. Now we're going to go all the way to the East Coast and talk to the Daily Racing Forms Mike Watchmaker. You're listening to Winning Ponies. The opening kickoff is a beauty. It's a fly ball deep right field. Back goes O'Neill. He's at the shot. Got it. With 2.8 seconds left to left. I don't care where they put him. This one is out of here. From high school to the pros, we... We cover everything. Let your voice be heard. Voice America Sports. And they're off. What? Can't make it to the track? You can still get all the action with winningponies.com, the home of the easy win form. The most accurate predictions on thoroughbreds, quarters, and Arabian horses at most American and Canadian tracks. Whether it be the Triple Crown, Breeders' Cup, Travers, Haskell, or your daily races, don't worry. Let winningponies.com make some money for you. The job of a professional athlete is never complete. In Life After the Game, host Lamar Campbell will take an inside look at how athletes are making the transition from the professional athletics world to the professional business world. You'll understand the goals, motivations, and personalities that drive these players off the field and in their post-professional career. Tune in to Life After the Game with Lamar Campbell every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Sports Channel. 
your internet flagship station for sports, Voice America Sports. You're tuned in to Winning Ponies with your host, John Englehart. Got a tip for us? Need a tip from us? If you want to talk with John or his guests, the phone lines are now open toll-free at 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or you can send an email to show at winningponies.com. Now, back to Winning Ponies with John Englehart. All right, and I'm honored to have with us Mike Watchmaker, the National Handicapper, for the Daily Racing Forum, joined the Forum back in 80. Uh, he's been a columnist. He's been over to the Racing Times, worked for Naira. Uh, but uh, what I really enjoy is getting my Racing Forum and uh, looking for the weekend warrior and uh, watching uh, Mike Watchmaker uh, go around the country and find races of value. This is If you're looking for chalk, you're probably not going to get it in the articles that uh, Mike writes. But as he told me on this show a long time ago, hey, I've only got to be right one out of those three times, and I'm probably going to turn a profit. So with us right now from the Daily Racing Forum, Mike Watchmaker. Mike, how are you? I'm well, John. How are you? I'm doing good. We've had, we've had a skein of good races here uh, in in the in the Midwest, as far as uh, the the beauty of the day, uh, the Kentucky Downs, a fantastic place to go. Went down to the Keeneland Sale. Uh, it was absolutely picture perfect down there. Of course, you get to see the best of the best. So I'm doing good. This is a good time of year for me. And hey, Keeneland's right around the corner. But uh, you you just came down from uh, Saratoga. Can you give me a broad brush view of the Saratoga meet? Uh, maybe a few horses that uh, impressed Mike Watchmaker. Uh, it was it was a uh, I thought a very good meet. Um, there was uh, a decided uh, emphasis on on trying to produce uh, more quality races, and, and I think that they were uh, Naira was somewhat successful in that regard. I, I, I thought the overall quality of the meet um, for today's game uh, w- was strong. Uh, you know, I mean. It, it, the, the, the days where we, where you're going to see grade one horses run in the second race in Saratoga, those days are over because there are just not that many true grade one horses anymore. I mean, full crops are down, and that means that the uh, the amount of genuine stakes horses are are down too. So, you know, the game is contracting somewhat. That, but um, in the face of that, I thought Saratoga did very well, and uh, you know, there 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 were a lot of horses that impressed me at the meet. Um, you know, a handful of two-year-olds, um, a handful of three-year-olds too. Uh, I, I, but I, you know, I'm a horse player at heart first, and you know, there are there are a bunch of horses I'm looking to bet back over the last couple of days of the meet when when the rail was absolutely the place to be. Um, so if you see horses that ran uh, outside uh, on uh, August 31st and September 1st in Saratoga and ran reasonably well. Uh, they're going to run very good next time out. Well, we will be uh, purchasing the daily racing form and try to find out who those horses are. Again, we're talking with Mike Watchmaker from the daily racing form. Well, uh, let's just start with uh, the, the marquee race of the week. I mean, it's just this Saturday's got to be a handicapper's dream for you. But uh, the uh, the Jockey Club Gold Cup, it, it's time for some of these three-year-olds to step up. And I'll tell you what, it looks like you've got a talented group here, and I can barely split them with a razor blade uh, with Wicked Strong, uh, who just missed by a nose to VE Day in 
uh, in the in the Travers Stakes. Uh, you throw in uh, the Belmont Stakes winner, who's right there making a bit of an equipment change. Uh, they seem to be a couple three-year-olds that are trying to say, well, I've got to throw this down to see if I'm good enough for the Breeders' Classic. And, of course, uh, the, the horse they're probably going to have to uh, chase down is the four-year-old uh, Moreno. So um, how do you see the, the, this picture unfolding, Mike? Well, it, it it might be the richest race of, of the day, and, and is the the center point of uh, Belmont's uh, Super Saturday card on Saturday. Uh, but I also think it's a tremendous betting race because, um, like, the, the pace is is very interesting in this race. And like you said, Moreno might be the one that they have to chase down. But uh, you know, there are a couple of things that you have to think about in this race. Number one, there are twelve horses entered. And a mile and a quarter race, this is a mile and a quarter race, mile and a quarter races at, Bel- at Belmont Park on the main track uh, start um, early on the clubhouse turn. Um, so uh, the way the configuration of this race is, outside posts, extreme outside posts, are at a disadvantage. And Moreno drew post 11. He also had post 11 uh, when he uh, ran in the Suburban three starts back and. Uh, I bet him that day, and, and he ran very well. He set the pace pretty tired late. He was beaten by Zevo uh, by a decisive three lengths. Um, Moreno is in tremendous form, but I don't think he's going to control the pace in this race because the other speed horse in this race drew post-12, Big Casanova. And I, I just have to think, even though Big Casanova has a very passive rider on him in a, in a rider tease, Big Casanova has no chance if he doesn't go here. Um, so I, I think he's going to make Moreno's life somewhat miserable in this race. Moreno's <laughs> not only compromised by a tough post, but he's got a speed horse breaking to his outside. And the other thing is, is that even though Moreno has only beaten the nose in last year's Traverse Stakes, I think a mile and a quarter just is a little bit outside his comfort zone. Um, I, I think he's better at a mile and eight than he is at a mile and a quarter. So... Uh, I think Moreno's very vulnerable in here, and so if you think the way I do, then the first inclination might be go to those three-year-olds that you mentioned, John, and and certainly they would all be aided by a contested pace that comes back, you know, especially um, Wicked Strong and and B.E. Day. Uh, Those are the two Jimmy Jerkins horses. I think it's worth noting that Jimmy Jerkins was absolutely on fire during the Saratoga meet, but his barn has cooled off significantly uh, since uh, racing moved back to Belmont Park. And, and, you know, while the the race might set up for those two horses, I think there are other interesting candidates in the race, and and my pick in the race is actually Zebo. Mike, do we still have you? Yeah, I'm with you, John. Can you hear me? I'm sorry, you dropped out there for a second. You, 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 it was very dramatic. You were saying, and my pick in the race is, and I missed it. Oh, well, <laughs> I was, it wasn't intentional. Uh, my I was waiting for a race, drum roll or something. No, 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 no. My pick in the race, I, believe me, I, I'm not that dramatic. Um, but my pick in the race is Zebo. Uh, I, I, I just think that Zebo that is a horse that used the Woodward Stakes last time out as a mere prep for this race. Uh, he, he, he was coming off a near two-month layoff. Uh, he, he, he was running on a Saratoga main track that isn't his favorite surface. Now he returns to Belmont Park, where he's done some of his best work. 
Uh, the pace sets up for him beautifully. Uh, I know he doesn't fit into the real storyline of the race where everyone would like to see the three-year-olds run well. Uh, Zebo is just a, uh, you know, a, a five-year-old New York bred, uh, but he's really in, you know, he was in tremendous form before he got a bit of a break, uh, before Saratoga, and I think he's coming up to this race perfectly. Outstanding. Well, again, this is why I read you uh, every weekend because you, you seem to be able to shop around and find a price. You see things that a lot of other people don't think. And again, uh, we've got three-year-olds facing older horses, and Zevo is a, a five-year-old, and Chad Brown is having one heck of a meet, uh, batting 22% right now, and those are, against some of the top horses uh, on the East Coast. Um, let's rewind now back to one more race because I know there's going to be a lot of multiple races. I believe there's a half a million guaranteed pick four. Mike, correct me if I'm wrong there. I don't know what the guarantee is, but, you know, these guarantees and pick fours are almost always met. It's just a marketing ploy. And uh, while it sounds, you know, very sexy and all of that, you know, they they always beat these guarantees. So (laughs) I don't concern myself with, with what the guarantee is. Well, either way, we're guaranteed to see fantastic races in New York this week. Um, in, in the Joe Hirsch handicap, um, from out of the clouds and from the other side of the pound, it sure looks like Graham Motion has found uh, the, the right key to main sequence. Not that this uh, five-year-old is any slouch, competed against some of the best, including Camelot, uh, over on the other side of the pond. Uh is uh, can he maintain that form? Is there a, a, the proper pace in here to set this up for for main sequence, or do you like somebody else? Yeah, I, I like main sequence, Sean. I, I have no argument with him. He ran very well, uh, winning his first two starts in the United States, uh, the Sword Dancing in the United Nations. Uh, you know, he won them by narrow margins, but he, he was more impressive than his narrow margins would indicate, and. Um, I do believe that as we go into uh, this Super Saturday, that main sequence is the best distance turf horse we've seen in the United States this year. Uh, That isn't to say someone might not be able to step up. I mean, Big Blue Kitten is is in this race, and uh, Big Blue Kitten was a disappointment last time out, uh, losing at 4-5 to in a grade 3 race at Monmouth in his last start. But he's stretching out to a distance that's much better for him on Saturday, and I think he's the main danger, but I have no argument with the main sequence. He's going to be the favorite. Uh, I don't have anything particularly insightful to say about this specific race. Well, people playing multiple wagers, uh, that could be one of their... They're singles. Now now we turn back on the other way to the speed horses in the 75th Vosburg. Uh, six furlongs, uh, last year's winners in their private zone. The now horse in the zone appears to be the horse that drew the rail, Palace. Uh, two for two in grade one races at Saratoga. You've got to see him one. Was he that visually impressive? Yeah, Palace is just uh, in raging form right now. I I, I remember, uh, uh, I think it was two or three years ago. Now, I, it was it might I think it was two years ago. Um, I was at Belmont Park and Palace was running for the first time for a tag. He was in a maiden twenty thousand dollar claimer for New York Reds, and I I was telling everybody who would listen that this horse would make a fantastic claim. And, you know, I would love to claim this horse, but uh, it was a $20,000 tag, and I was about $19,950 short. But, um, <laughs> I, you know, he, he, 
he's gone on to win over a million dollars. Uh, Linda Rice has done a fantastic job with him. And there's, there's a ton of really speed in this race um, uh, between Zebros and uh, Happy My Way and Private Zone and, to a lesser extent, Dad's Caps. And that just sets everything up beautifully for Powell's. And he's absolutely the horse to beat. But uh, I'm going to take a shot in this race for Saludos Amigos. Um, Saludos Amigos just ran a brilliant race last time out, finishing second uh, to the very promising River Rocks. Um, that was late in the Saratoga meet where you had to be inside and you had to be on the pace. And Saludos Amigos was out in the three or four pass all the way around the racetrack, and he made River Rocks, who was something like three to five in that race, work every inch of the way. And Salutus Amigos ran tremendous in that race. Now, I don't know if he's as good as Palace, but Salutus Amigos is going to be three times the price as Palace. So uh, I think Salutus Amigos is a horse to definitely mess around with at exotic wagers. And certainly you, you've got numbers on your side to like this ho- horse, too. I mean, uh, came out of a race with a 106 buyer, the race you mentioned against that. And David Jacobson uh, is currently batting 26%, which uh, most trainers in the North America would be happy to take. Yeah, I mean, the, the barn, uh, the Jacobson barn, after having a very down Saratoga meet, is, is, uh, is starting to win. Uh, at a clip that they're much more accustomed to uh, at, at Belmont. Uh, you know, Salutus Amigos is a horse that's, that's handled the Belmont track very well in the past. And uh, like I said, I don't know if he's as good as Palace. He might not be, but you know, Palace is going to be somewhere in the vicinity of 8-5 to five or 7-5 to five in the race. Salutus Amigos is going to be somewhere around 5 or 6-1 to one in the race. And, uh, you know, at, at that price disparity, uh, I'm willing to take a shot with Salutus Amigos. Well, again, we're talking with uh, Mike Watchmaker from the Daily Racing Forum, uh, the Weekend Warrior. And, again, as he told me one time, yeah, I might not win every race, but the ones I win pay enough to cover the other two. So uh, he can find a price. Uh, the Flower Bowl Invitational, uh, it's a grade one, a mile and a quarter on the turf. Uh, oh, by the way, how's the weather report looking for this weekend? Uh, it's looking good. It was storming here in New York uh, today. Thursday, um, uh, we had a lot of rain, but uh, it's going to clear up overnight. Tomorrow's going to be nice. Saturday's going to be uh, in the upper 70s and sunny, so uh, the conditions should be perfect. Okay, I just wanted to know for the people that are handicapping the, the turf races, this looks like a very contentious race. I, I had a hard time splitting them. Got to like Abaco, uh, Viva Raffaella, uh, Strath Neighbor, and uh, of course uh, Steph- Stephanie's Kitten. Um, where does uh, Mike Watchmaker throw down the gavel on this one? Well, Stephanie's Kitten is the horse to beat in this race. So she ran very well finishing second in the Beverly D last time out. Uh, and she uh, she had a, a, a she was an unlucky loser of the Diana Stakes at Saratoga two starts back. Um, she's really uh, run well in her last two starts. That said, I'm very concerned about her, and for this reason, uh, this is a horse that used to have positional speed, and she seems to have completely lost whatever positional speed she once had. And when horses lose their positional speed, it is nine times out of ten a sign of decline. Uh, and she is five years old, and she's run well in her last couple of starts, but I still think that the fact that she no longer has any positional speed whatsoever is is a red flag, and I'm going to invite her to beat me in this race. Uh, the, the horses I like in here 
are Abaco, Abaco, and Tannery. Abaco uh, ran very well, winning the Boston Spa uh, last time out. She's been unlucky in a lot of races this year. Uh, Sugar Gay, her trainer's got her going right now, and I think the added distance is going to help her. Uh, and I think Tannery is an interesting long shot. She's 15 to 1 on the morning line. And I think her last two races are complete throwouts, especially for Diana two starts back. I mean, you know, this is a horse that's a dead closer. And for some reason, she was up there on the early pace in that Diana. She does not want to run that way. Uh, she's run very well at Belmont in the past. I think the added distance helps her a little bit. And I think Tannery could wake up and be much more competitive in this spot. I like the race Abaco, Tannery, and then Stephanie's kit. Okay, Tannery, I'm looking down. A lot of times I don't get the, the odds. I must have uh, pulled my PPs down late, 15 to 1. Well, uh, Mike, we uh, spoke uh, briefly off the air because I was trying to space the races out pretty well, and I wanted to see how many we could get to. And it does look like I've got, a, I've got a, about five minutes left here at least. Um, the, the, the Bell Dame, it, it's a grade one, $400,000, a mile and an eighth. Uh, just this race filled with class. I believe uh, Stop Charging Maria scratched out of the parks race, uh, thinking that th- this might be the place to go. We'll find out if that is the case. Uh, there's just so much talent in here. I'm uh, be very interested in seeing uh, who you like, because I got a feeling you got a wagering opportunity in here. I do. I like this race, uh, John. Um, stop charging, stop charging, Maria. Like you said, scratched out of the cotillion last week, in which she was supposed to run against Untappable and uh, Sweet Reason uh, in favor of this race, and 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 it's all. Um, uh, Eclipse Ward positioning, because uh, uh, her connections believe uh, that she has a chance to be divisional champion, even though Untappable has dominated division just about all year long. Um, and they feel as though Stop Charging Maria gets a win against older opponents in the Bell Dame. It could, could, it could give her uh, uh, a, a, a sort of a, a, an electioneering edge, so to speak. Um, but I will say that if Stop Charging Maria wins this race, and I will lose. Uh, I don't like her in this race. Her, her race in the Alabama last time out uh, was not a good performance. It was an historically slow race on a fast racetrack. It was only good for an 82-buyer speed figure, which was it was profoundly the slowest um, Alabama stakes in terms of buyer speed figures since buyer speed figures were first published back in 1990. And I'm talking by... Uh, something like 17 or 18 points. I mean, by a long, long way. Uh, It was just a very slow race. And Stop Charging Maria has been, you know, she's had a tremendous campaign. She won the Alabama. She won the Coach of American Oaks. She won the Black Eyed Susan. I mean, these are very prestigious races. But she beat beat nothing in these races. And um, now she's running against a field of older horses while, there are no superstars in here. There are some capable horses, and I like a filly named Toasting in this race. Toasting is eight to one on the morning line. I liked her last time about she went, when she won the Sky Beauty race. And the reason why at Belmont Park, and the reason why I liked her in the Sky Beauty, is because she showed improvement two starts back. Went second at Woodbine in the Seaway Stakes, and this is a horse that got good last fall. And in late summer, she showed improvement, and it looked like maybe she was coming back to herself as the fall approached again. I thought she would also benefit from a switch back to a dirt surface, and she did. 
She ran very well winning the Sky Beauty, earning a 96 buyer speed figure that's better than Stop Charging Maria has ever earned in her whole career. Um, and I think the added distance is going to, going to help Toasting. Uh, Toasting was second in the Comley Stakes at Aqueduct uh, last November. If she runs back to that race, she'll win this race. She was narrowly beaten in the Comley by Wedding Toast, who was at the Dolphin Philly that was winning her fourth straight and was very highly regarded at the time. Uh, I think Toasting is a very dangerous horse in this race, and I like her to beat Stop Charging Maria. All right. Well, uh, we're listening to Mike Watchmaker from the Daily Racing Forum. My producer says I've got about two minutes left, which is great. If Mike, I, I'm, I know that you do your homework so well, and uh, I was wondering if I could reach out to you. I didn't have it on the schedule, but the Grade Two Kelso Handicap has brought together an, an interesting group of horses. While not the the biggest field. Uh, we, we've got uh, it's my lucky day. A horse that just seems to have uh, have jumped has jumped up and, and pounded his chest uh, since his comeback. Yeah, he's a very very nice horse, and um, this is an interesting spot for this horse. Uh, instead of going in the Jockey Club Gold Cup at a mile and a quarter after winning the Woodward and beating Moreno last time out at a mile and eight. They've cut him back to a mile here. And it's also interesting to note that It's My Lucky Day is not Breeders' Cup nominated. So uh, it remains to be seen what exactly it is that they're going to do with this horse. Uh, are they cutting him back to a mile in the council, maybe targeting the Cigar Mile and Thanksgiving weekend at Aqueduct and not going to the Breeders' Cup? Or, or are they trying to, like, you know, just collect as much money as they can in order to supplement him to the Breeders' Cup? I, I don't know what the plan is with this horse. But in terms of his Kelso, he's got a great setup in this race. I mean, between River Rocks and, and Greatster, uh, the pace is going to be pretty strong and contested. It's my lucky day due to seven hole. He drew outside. He's going to sit a very nice stocking trip in this race. Uh, I think he's going to be very hard to beat uh, at a very short price. Uh, I wish I had... Uh, another toasting for you in this race. I don't. I, I think it's my lucky day will win and pay about three twenty. Well, I really like the source. I remember back in uh, uh, Derby weekend when uh, Eddie Plessa was on the backstretch, and he was such a relaxed horse. He had a blast. I remember he pulled a mirror out, and this horse loves to see his own reflection, and he starts making faces. And uh, Eddie Plessa just seems like a, a really nice guy to, to, to be around, and uh, one of those guys who kind of wish him the best. Yeah, I mean, I, I uh, the first riding job I ever had for the racing form was back at, at, at Atlantic City Racecourse uh, 32 years ago, and Eddie Plesa had a small spring there, and that was the, the first time I ever met him. So uh, I've known Eddie for, uh, I, you know, I can't say we're friends, but we've been in acquaintances for a long time. He's a very good trainer. Well, he was great, and he was good for the he was good for the the media back then. Well, uh, Mike, I uh, want to thank you so much for your time. Just want to know, uh, you know, I've read you in in hardcover. Do you got a, any new projects in the making with the Daily Racing Forum? God, no, just I'm knee deep in the Breeders' Cup now, John. I don't want any more projects right now. But um, <laughs> you can check out my stuff on DRF.com. Uh, we also have uh, this thing called DRF Live, which is free. Uh, every weekend where we uh, actually have real-time updates for, from a, a horse-playing uh, angle uh, that's uh, available on, on our website. And, and you can always find me at Twitter. Uh, I'm at DRF Watchmaker, so you can find me there, too. 
All right. Thanks so much for your time. We've been talking with Mike Watchmaker from the Daily Racing Forum. Really appreciate him spending time with us on Winning Ponies. want to thank Tom Quigley for his West Coast perspective. Going to be a great weekend of racing. Make sure that you are at a racetrack, an OTB parlor, or someplace near where you can watch the best racing in America. Well, I'm going to salute you off. I'm looking across the turf course over the Ohio River to the hills of Kentucky. Remember, folks, when you go to the races, bet with your head, not over it. Thanks for listening to Winning Ponies with John Engelhart. We know the information from today's show will help you at the next post. Keep listening for more next Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Sports Network.